This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Hey, well, it's not going to be that awkward, I promise. Uh, Turn to someone next to you and say, friend, I'll never unfriend you. Unless, no, you'll have those answers in about 20 minutes, all right? Well, I just want to say welcome to church today. My name is Landon. My wife, Kelly, and I have the great honor and privilege of pastoring this church. If you're here for the first time, a big special welcome to you. Church, say hello to those that are here for the first time. Glad to have you at church today. Inside your worship guide you were given when you walked in the doors is a connection card. And Kelly and I just want to know, number one, how did you find the church? And, and how can we walk alongside you in life and make sure you're moving purposefully forward in Jesus? So if you wouldn't mind filling out that card, you'll give it to the same beautiful smiling faces that handed it to you on the way into the door in a bucket at the end of service. You know, today we're talking about a topic that we cannot get away from, and you saw... Um, And those videos were made intentionally awkward on purpose because it's hard finding friends as an adult. Somebody say amen to that. It's harder to find friends the older you get. And we're talking about unfriending. We can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. You're like, Landon, don't talk to me about unfriending. I'd rather just talk about finding some friends. Uh, Well, that was the first three weeks of the series. So go back and listen to it or watch it on YouTube, this is very, very important. Unfriending is very important because if anybody in this room has been on social media for a hot second, you know that there are those people at one time or another that post way too much. And you're wondering, how do you still have a job? Just looking at the timestamps of their posts, you know they're not working and giving their employer godly attention. You know it's not possible. And you wonder, how do you, number one, how did you have you not been fired yet? Number two, what you're posting is so dumb and it's so boring. And you're reposting all of these memes that were from MySpace and we're very confused why you found it and how you found it. And then there's the people that all they post are pictures of their food or their cat and no one cares about that. And so we've all done it. How many of you, raise your hand, you've unfriended somebody online. Raise your hand, raise it high, raise it high, right, high, 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 high. Now, raise your other hand if they're in this room. No, I'm just kidding, don't do that, oh, come on! Oh, that's messed up. That's a Tim Robinson, I saw that, that's messed up. You know, that we had to unfriend people until they invented something great for us, we thought, which was the sneaky unfollow button uh, where we could hide our cowardice even deeper. That's another sermon for another day. But in the same way as we've discussed that social media has cheapened culture and it's of itself now, albeit kick-started by the invention of media, has cheapened the word friend. It has also lessened the depth of the process of friendship in general, including unfriending. To where it's just like a little button. You don't have to be an adult and say anything You just hit the button and hope they don't notice. And I wonder if we can learn something today about this. So rather than um, just saying we're going to unfriend people in pursuit of godly things, which that that we're going to talk about why that's not a good idea to say it that way. What I want to talk to you about today, more so than just saying I'm going after God, I can't be friends with you, is redefining friends. Redefining the levels of friend. Because they're not all on the same level. But culture tells us that when someone becomes a friend, we're all kind of like a lot of people have a voice into our life. And a lot of people should not have a voice into our life. Somebody say amen to that. So for those of us here that are followers of Christ, it is imperative that in every season of your life, you got to redefine certain friendships. Redefine certain relationships in order to stay on the right path. Why? Look up on the screen. Let's all read it out loud. Make the first service beg for mercy. Ready? One, two, ready, read. It's on the screen. It's on the screen. One, two, ready, read. Show me your friends. And I'll show you your future. That's good. That's good. Comes out of this scripture, Proverbs 13. Walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of Fools. 
you go into the Hebrew there, a companion of fools, people who think they're right on the time, prideful, they got their own idea, they can find God wherever they want, they don't need systematic organized religion, I got my own God, I'm going to figure it out myself, I have no purpose in life other than to destroy you. People like that will cause you to suffer harm. I pity the fool, you know you were thinking it. In week number one, I said I got into trouble a lot, and then, then what I further said was every time I got into trouble, I was never alone. I didn't wake up in the morning going, I cannot wait to make my parents wish that they had done better. I cannot wait. I can't wait. I never woke up that way. It was always there was someone around. We ended up in doing certain things, and I ended up being in places and with people that I would have never gotten to or been with on my own. Maybe you can relate to that. Look what Proverbs 12 says. The righteous, which righteous doesn't mean perfect. All that word means is in right relationship with God. That means you are in communication with him. When you mess up, you tell him and you're talking with him. It's, it's a daily relationship. So the ones that are work, walking with purpose and attempting a right relationship with God, those types of people choose their friends what? Carefully. But the way of the wicked, that word, the way of those who, who are not walking purposefully, and what I've heard even grown men say is, I just wake up every day hoping today's better than yesterday. Listless people with no direction or purpose will lead them astray. You and I, we meet our friends by chance, but we deepen our friendships by choice. You end up in proximity with people, and the ones that are harmful for you, you end, up, you end up in rooms like that, but you deepen those relationships and those friendships by choice. Here's the bottom line. It is impossible to live the right life when you've got the wrong friends. It is impossible. Some of you have tried it. That's why you're saying, oh man, and amen, and oh me. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul told the Corinthians, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. We don't talk a lot about character uh, in today's culture. We talk a lot about feelings. Now, I remember Pastor Jackie, one of our overseers, who will actually be here in like three weeks to preach. Um, he did a whole sermon last time he was here on character and integrity. How many would love to see that in our country today? Some character and integrity. Bad company corrupts good personalities? No. Bad company corrupts a good online persona? No. Bad company corrupts the core of who you are. Your character. Your integrity. But Landon, I'm confused here because the Bible seems to contradict itself just a little bit. So I wrote some of them down because I knew for all of my fellow skeptics in the room, I wanted to give you something to chew on too. So if the Bible contradicts itself, we need to figure out, is it actually contradicting itself? Because the Bible says in, in parts of Matthew and Luke that Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was their friend. You're like, Landon, see, he was their friend. He was their friend. I can be a friend of whoever I want. Jesus was a friend of sinners. I can go wherever I want, do whatever I want. It's missionary friendship, Landon. You don't know what we're doing. You weren't there. Jesus was a friend of sinners, okay? But on the other side, it says bad company corrupts good character. So if you're friends, that means you're around them. That means they're your company. So if you're around this friend and they're sinners and they're corrupting you, why would the Bible say that but then say this? Okay, well, what about Deuteronomy chapter 22 where it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. A yoke was something they would put on the neck of two oxen so they could pull the plow forward at the same rate of speed and with the same strength. And so the, the metaphor that's used in Deuteronomy is that there is an unequally yoke, an unequal yoke put on the oxen. The oxen's got one, and then it uses a donkey for the other. So those of you that have donkeys for friends, you're un, there's an unequal yoke. You're saying it in your head, I didn't say it. Unequally yoked. Uses that. But then it says, you're the light on the world. You're the light of the world. Don't hide yourself. 
Like you got to be around these folks so they can see the, the light. They got to be close enough to you so they can see when the light turns on. They know it's there. It's very confusing. So how can I be around them but not be around them? What about Amos chapter 3? Some of you just learned there's a book in the Bible called Amos. Amos chapter 3. It says, can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? Can two people agree? But then it says, go into the world and make disciples. Go be where they are. Go put yourself where they're at. So when we look at what, what when the Bible says, how can two people walk together unless they agree on the direction, that word direction is the Hebrew word ya'ad, and it means to fix their eyes together by agreement on a direction. So how can two people have a, have, have a singular focus if they're walking in opposite directions spiritually? So it says that, but then it says, go find those people and make them disciples. Anybody see the tension here? A little confusing. We're trying to figure this out. So I'm wondering, how do we reach out to people while still protecting ourselves? How do we reach out to people while still advancing in life? How do we reach out to people while we're trying to live on purpose? See, Jesus shows us the answer to this. Jesus loved all. There was an eternity focus for all, but there was a personal focus for a few. The time he spent with people was with a few. There was an inner circle idea when it comes to Jesus, and we'll prove it to you. Because as a follower of Christ, you, you have to understand this so your light can shine brighter. If we're not careful, we find ourselves hitched up to a donkey trying to move forward in life. And another point of that metaphor is if there's one stronger on one side, at best, both people just walk in circles. And so we have to identify how to move forward here. And the fact, I, the thing I'm about to tell you would get Jesus canceled today. Jesus loved everyone equally, but he did not treat them equally. And oh man, has there, any, has there ever been anything on this screen more anti-American culture today than that? Jesus loved everyone, so treat everyone with equity. Jesus loved everyone, so you, because love is, is how I treat everybody. And if love is love, then everybody gets the same amount of access to my heart. Jesus loved everyone equally, but he didn't treat them equally. And some of y'all are like, man, that's mean. Jesus is mean. We got to identify this because in a culture that loves feelings more than character, we have to start to define these words in the Bible. Even in the word love in Greek has four different ways to say the word love. But in English, all we have is the word love. We speak a very boring language. That's why we use adjectives, like a million of them to describe a noun. Like there's... Because we only have one word to say something. So we have to describe it, describe it, describe it. But you look at the word Philadelphia. It's a city of brotherly love. The Greek word phileo. It's a brotherly love. There's eros love, which is reserved for your wife or husband. And then there's agape love, which is I love you like Jesus loves you. But that doesn't mean you get access to me. So it's the thing that's different. These words are being redefined by the enemy and it's hurting people. Jesus only called 12 disciples. He went around and found a multiracial group of people that he knew would hate each other when they met each other and turned them into the world changers we know today. Found 12 disciples and then of the 12, there were three that he was with more. And then of the three, there was one guy that thought he was it. But the Pharisees, he kept at arm's length. Wouldn't you think with our logic today that if Jesus really wanted to change culture, that he would have gone after the Pharisees? That he would have gone after the people that held all the power? No, he went and found a bunch of cussing fishermen and a doctor and turned them into the disciples. It's very interesting to me. It's very anti-logical to me. 
what, how Jesus did this. But he found a bunch of people that ended up changing the world. It didn't make sense, but he loved everyone but didn't treat everyone equally. Even within his inner circle, he didn't treat everyone the same. And there's a reason for this. And some of you are going, I'm just now learning that's okay to do. You're welcome. Be set free in Jesus' name. You don't have to treat everyone the same. Not everybody gets access to your heart. But it's also not that easy for us to spot the people that are killing us, is it? The people that are around you, you're thinking about the people you're around a lot. They might not be knocking off banks or have a pot farm in their backyard. And you're like, oh, okay, that's a bad dude. He's just waiting on it to get legal and we're going to get rich. You know, it's like, that's a bad dude. Okay, no, no, no. It's not that easy to spot them. It's worse. It's sneaky. Everybody say, sneaky. It's sneaky. You know why? Because it's the devil. The Bible says he prowls. He doesn't parade. He prowls. He's not going to come through the streets of Agrabah like Prince Ali. He prowls. It's all in your, it's in your head now, isn't it? Renzo. The word devil is the Greek word diabolo. It's a Greek compound word. It's where Spanish gets the word diablo. Y'all said it like Antonio Banderas. I just heard it. That was good. That was really good. Y'all watched The Mask of Zorro. It came out on Netflix. You just watched it, didn't you? It's Diablo. It's the word diameter, straight through, and balo, which is, come, you, so you come straight through the middle. Balo is where we get the word ballistics. So the devil's name, by definition, is to come between you and your spouse and explode. To come between you and your church and explode. Be, to come between you and your purpose and explode. To come between you and a real friend and get you offended that they told you the truth and explode. So you can go find a cheaper friend that likes the same football team you do. Which that's always helpful. Go Cowboys. We have to learn how to redefine the people in our lives. I'm not saying you go home and make a list and start putting columns and identifying the spirituality of each person. That'd be super weird. Put your Google sheet and Excel sheets up. I'm saying you have, this is a heart thing. We got to learn some boundaries. So I came up with two things that I'm not going to let my friends do to me. Just two things. Number one, I'm not going to let them distract me from God's plan for me. If there's people around me, these are filters. If there's people around me that I feel like are distracting me from God's plan for me, I'm moving you tears. Not going to distract me from God's plan for me. Jesus exemplified this perfectly in a verse that people love to quote, but it's hard to stomach because we don't know the power of it for real. Because Jesus uses the Greek word that we just talked about with one of the people in his inner circle. He tells Peter, Jesus was focused and purposed in his mission, and then somebody who was in his small group started to distract him from his purpose. And here's what Jesus said. He wasn't having none of it. He went Medea on Peter, and he said in Matthew 16, Jesus turned and said to Peter, which means Jesus had to look him in the eye, which is another art of communication our culture has lost. Looked him in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan, get behind me. Get behind me. You're not going to come in between me and my purpose and explode. What are you doing? Get behind me. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but only the things of men. How Jesus had any friends, I'll never know. But I'm wondering... If you're gutsy enough to even notice people are doing something to you and then even gutsy enough to be a real friend and tell them when they are. Jesus did not let Peter, and for all of you recovering Catholics, the Pope was called Satan. I don't know if you ever learned that CCD, but he was called Satan first. And there's this whole process that Jesus took Peter through to make him part of the rock on which he would build the church. One day he's Hasatan. Diablo, and the next day, he's the rock. How did that happen? 
honesty, focus, conversation, prayer, proximity, a lot of beautiful things. It definitely wasn't passive-aggressive behavior online. Now, you're not Jesus, so I wouldn't expect you to get away with, like, calling your mother-in-law on Thanksgiving, Satan, tell her you're a stumbling block to me and my family. You have the things of men in mind, lots of men, by the way, and not the things of God. I don't suggest you do that. My pastor said, don't you dare. I'll deny it, they'll believe me, so don't even try. See, it looks like this. It looks like you put people into what I call the directional position. There are people in my life that can say things to me, but it doesn't affect the direction of my life. But there are certain people that they can whisper something to me, and, and it matters. It has power behind it because of their level of access to me. Their level of access to my soul. So let me ask you, who is allowed to speak into your spirit? Who are you allowing access to speak? A lot of us were allowing the news pundits access to our soul. We're allowing people to speak to us to cause fear in our soul to separate us from truth. The people around you, the relationships in your life, who has access to you? And then we start to see the slow fade. It's not quick. And what's sad to me is what I've seen happen even within church before, and this is what makes me even more mad at the devil, is because the birds of a feather found each other and began to flock together. And you, be, and you begin to see that if one of those birds had been a real friend and said, hey, I don't like the way this feels in this conversation. We're not going to let ourselves get offended. Are we on mission together, or did you create this small group to be offended? When people don't act like real friends, divorce is inevitable. We begin to find out that people that we even met, and that's what makes me mad at the devil, that he can take the bride of Christ and use it to kill each other off. This is just surprising to me. So we have to be very honest and very open about it. Or what if there's somebody, you know, like your, your kids are really into sports, and then it's like, this is great. You're going on vacation. You go away for a weekend, which you all need to do, and just enjoy your family and enjoy friendships and go on guys' trips and, and take lady trips and do all the fun stuff. But when that one thing turns into season tickets and nobody said, hey, this probably isn't a good idea, for us to be gone every Sunday for three months. I've seen that happen. I've seen that happen. Or what if somebody is, is beginning to magnify their own needs and feelings because we Googled some YouTube psychiatrists and now we're all psychologists and we're armed with enough information to be dangerous to ourselves. We start to tell ourselves what we need and what we need is more time by the river, which I believe God shows up at the river. He also shows up at the river six other days of the week. The river doesn't just run on Sunday. And the Bible is very clear about do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Why? So we could have church? No, because you need the family. And the devil knows. So when people are like, I find God everywhere. I find God here. I find God there. It's like, I find him everywhere too, but I'm not going to let it take me from here because here's where I get equipped and strengthened to go be Jesus to my city. We've seen people take each other out and idolize their kids' sports. And then what turned into like a fun rec league is now my kid's going to be, you know, you know the, the next number one player. And all of our money and time and attention went to something that taught my child that a stitched leather object is more important than their faith. And I'm just curious if we could have a church in Shirts and Cibolo that was sick and tired of watching the devil use the bride of Christ against herself, 
if we would finally stand up and say to all of the organizations that are trying to take our teenagers out of youth group and all of the coaches that think that God created their sport and that Jesus died on the football field, if we could, if we could stand up as a church and say, stop doing that, coach. Stop doing that, band director. Stop doing that, teacher. Like, you're not going to take our kids away from what gives them life. If they would go, fine, we'll practice six other days a week. Fine. Just not the one that they need. I'm not going to let people distract me from what God's called me to. I'm not going to let my friends take me away. Because if they can come in between and explode. And they don't even have to overtly do it. It's sneaky. It's slow. But the outcome is the same. So we're not going to let our friends distract us from God's ways and God's plan and God's people and God's church. And guess what? After second service, there's over 20 people who are getting baptized that said, not on my watch. I'm standing up for my faith. Come on, you can do better than that. People are saying yes to him after second service, after today. Number two, I'm not going to let my friends continually tempt me to sin. I'm not going to let my friends do that. This is, I see this in Joseph's story. Joseph was serving in, in the house of a man named Potiphar. Potiphar was his boss, and he had proximity to hundreds of other servants. But the Bible mentions one lady specifically who was in proximity in the home and day after day after day after day got closer and closer and closer to Joseph, and he finally had enough of it. But she had finally had enough of not getting what she wanted. And so she says this in the book of Genesis, chapter 39. Potiphar's wife caught Joseph by his jacket and said, come to bed with me. But he left his jacket in her hand and ran out of the house. I don't think you and I get the power of this verse. The Bible says to run from sin, to run from temptation, not to sit with Potiphar's wife and identify the feelings and her family systems trauma that has caused her to want to do this to him. Maybe she'll get free if she's that close to me. Maybe God will use me. God's not going to run, Forrest, run. He didn't care about her feelings. He didn't care about being embarrassed. He didn't care that he had dropped his tunic and is running out in his undies. He says, get me away from this woman. I'm not going to sin against the Lord. Get your hand. And then he got thrown in jail because she lied. Of course she lied about it. He got thrown in jail and everything he had was lost. And in the story at the very end, like he ends up being second in power to Pharaoh. Because he did not let himself sin against the Lord and didn't let people in proximity to him to cause him to sin. No one was around. He could have done it. There was no texting. There were no microphones. There was no hidden cameras. It was just him and this lady, and no one would have ever known. And I'm just curious if there are people in your life that you're in proximity to that are tempting you to sin. And it may not be this big of a deal, but what if it's like this, what happened to me? My sophomore year of college, Kelly and I had just gotten married and moved to Dallas, and we were sophomores in college, and, and we were, you know, eating rice and beans and a bunch of frozen pizzas and ramen noodles and taking 18 to 20 credit hours a semester, which I do not suggest. Uh, and we were doing that, working full time. It was crazy. We had energy back then. I'm already winded. I've only been up here 15 minutes. Uh, just... But we're, 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 we're working, we're doing a lot of stuff. We're, we're also so busy, we didn't have any friends. I was a youth pastor at a church, and we knew a lot of people. There were people around us, but didn't have any friends. And I met this guy, and we, we hit it off. Like, it would just click. You know when you get around some people and it just clicks? You're like, you're easy to talk to. We should be friends. And they're like, we really should. I don't know if you talk to them like that, but if you do and it works, then... Maybe it was meant to be, or so you thought, because it clicked and we were having fun, and, and I, I didn't have any friends, and I had a new wife, and I had, you know, family members to prove wrong, and then so I was like, 
no money, no friends. I was like, hey, this guy, this could be, this could be God's provision for me. I'm excited about this. I, we hit it off. We started going over to their house for dinner. Found out they live in the same apartment complex as us across the courtyard. So we go uh, to their house. We're taking, you know, what, what pork and beans we had in our apartment. And took it over to the house, and his wife was such a good cook. And they, they were Messianic Jews, so every Friday night they did Shabbat dinner. So we would go over there, and I was just fascinated by this whole Messianic Jewish culture. I didn't grow up with that. You know, I grew up in a small-town church, family-run church. I didn't even know the word Messianic was a word. And then we met them. I'm like, so you can be a Jew and love Jesus? I'm interested about this. So I, they, I started talking to them. We would go to their house for dinner, and one of their kids started calling me Uncle Landon. I'm like, we're close to these people. They, we were friends. We saw, I saw him seven days a week. We went to their synagogue with them some Saturday mornings. They're walking the tour around. They're all kissing. I'm like, I ain't kissing that. Your lips just touched it. I'm not doing that. This is all pre-COVID, and it was still gross. wasn't doing it. So, like, it's just all these things going on. I'm like, this is interesting to me. And then after we had been friends for a few months, then things started to change. Or I started to get privy to it. Whatever the case was, I started to notice that my friend was different, he was talking a little different, maybe he got comfortable with me and that's when it changed, but the gossip started. You know, like just pointing things out and like being very negative and very critical and, and, and trash talking professors. And I remember being in one of our classes that was called the Order of Righteousness. I know it sounds riveting, but it was actually one of my favorite classes in all of Bible school. And we're in this class, I'm trying to listen to this guy who was a church planter in Africa for 55 years, millions of people, documented salvations and healings, even people raised from the dead in his ministry, and this guy wants to trash talk him. And I was like, bro, I don't, are you kidding? I think Dr. Thompson knows what he's talking about. We were like having, I'm like, whatever, dude. So I just kind of brushed a lot of stuff off. And then it started to pile up and pile up. He started pointing out beautiful women. He started pointing out things, but it wasn't overt. It wasn't like, mm, girl, it wasn't like that. They would walk by and he would quote scripture. They'd walk by and he goes, it is not good for man to be alone. I'm like, ugh. Don't quote scripture sounding like that. Like it's not, it was just, I, I'm like, something's not right. I'm not liking this anymore. So the guy over here that we're at Shabbat dinner and they're all, Baruch Adonai, Elohim, Elohim. And then he's over here and he's like, mm, look at that. I'm like, I don't, what is going on here? And it started to get to be too much and started minimizing. This is when it started to change for me even more. He started to minimize his former sexual addictions. Because I thought we had gotten close enough to the point where he had shared some things with me. And I would even ask him, how are you doing with all that? How are you doing with all that? And he'd be like, great, I'm doing this, do that. Everything felt great. But he started to minimize it. And I was getting worried about it. And, I, and like I said, I was like a lonely new husband. And I thought this relationship was hurting or helping me, but I noticed it was killing me. It was invading my thoughts, distracting me in class, and in Bible school, causing me to zone out spiritually. And then there was a change during a time of prayer and even bringing it up to my wife, when it started to get, I'm like, something's not right. Let's call him Gary. Something's not right with Gary. I knew something had to change. We talked about it, and I, I met with him. And there's a concept of friendship that I learned that day, and it's the concept. The teenagers learned it on Wednesday night. We learned about the concept and the truth of mutual concern. That friendship is not affinity-based. There's some of my friends that they couldn't tell you what offense or defense is in football, and I can't tell you who Han Solo is. But we're connected to something deeper. It's not affinity. It's not even like we like doing the same thing or we have some of the same similar friends. It's mutual concern. And out of that mutual concern, I talked with them. Because the truth of mutual concern is being willing to lose that friend because you care about them as a person more than you care about having a friend. And I was not okay with him. Like, it was bothering me, but I was like, I'm worried about you. So I meet with them. And I'm like, dude, I'm worried about you. And he went 
off. And I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. But then the more I thought about it, I wasn't surprised. Because then all the pieces started to come together. And there were demons hiding in that relationship. And they got exposed. And those demons are never quiet. We weren't friends anymore after that. And I was alone again. Our Friday nights no longer had Shabbat Shalom in it. And we were back to eating pork and beans and frozen pizza. But if you remember back to the week one and week two of the series is when I told you about our friends David and Jenny. The month after this happened, you know, like we started becoming friends with Dave and Jenny. I'm just wondering if what God, God's best for you is right around the corner, but because you're holding on to the devil's best, you'll never hold on to God's best because you can only hold on to one thing. Since that time, he's divorced his wife, denounced Christianity, married a man, and they've adopted a son. I would have never thought that was possible. See, the language of true friendship will say, I love you, I deeply care about you, but I'm not going down with you. In other words, let's go deeper, you cannot do God's job in someone else's soul. Don't try. You can't do it. You're not equipped for it, and in God's word, he never asked you to, and he really doesn't want you to, because it will only hurt you. So now that I've told you about the two things I won't let my friends do, let me tell you about one thing I won't stop doing. I won't stop loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. I won't stop loving people. And I have friends that have turned away from the faith and it, and it breaks my heart. People that Kelly and I vacationed with that now don't even believe Jesus is the only way to heaven. It breaks my heart. I love them so much, it breaks my heart. And the worst thing that could happen to you is for you to become a religious snob and say things like, I'm too good for that. I'm too good for you. Here's the truth. Jesus didn't unfriend sinners. Not one time. He unfriended hypocrites. You won't find one scripture in the Bible where Jesus unfriended someone searching for God. Did he let them speak into his soul? No. Because there are different levels of friendship. Did he let them influence his direction in life? No, he called Peter Satan. And he was one of the three loved ones. No. But he did sit there in the temple and look around and watched a bunch of Pharisees and Sadducees overcharge people like the government for turtle doves. He watched religious leaders abuse innocent people and so he sat down in a chair, and the Bible says he fashioned a whip. He didn't go buy one. He made one. Where did he find the leather? Don't know. But the Bible says he fashioned a whip. How long does it take, a, take to make a whip? I don't know. Was it a long one? I don't know. Was it like a little pocket whip? I don't know. But he made a whip. And in front of them, he's like, I can't wait to beat you with this. Spoken like a true father of, a, of Landon as a child. And he made a whip. And as soon as the whip was done, he stood up with a holy rage, broke every piece of glass, turned over every table, and whipped every religious leader that was in sight. Do not touch my people. Was Jesus concerned about Caiaphas's feelings? No. Was he concerned about his reputation? No. Because a leader who's concerned about reputation would never upset someone on city council.
We have it backwards. We have it backwards. And Jesus, with unconditional love in his heart, his heart bleeding with compassion, but physically breaking tables. Now let's put that on a t-shirt. Because that's the Jesus that I know. Not the Jesus that holds a lamb and stares at you creepy in a painting. The Jesus that I know breaks stuff for people who don't know they're being abused. The Jesus that I know doesn't even let his closest friends distract him from his purpose. But you and I will let somebody steal us away for a game. And at the end of your life, you're going to look up and want the people around you that were closest to you. And I hope that you look up and the people around your deathbed are ones that chased Jesus with you and broke tables with you and protected the weak with you and baptized people with you and led small groups with you and served on teams with you and hosted dinners with you and stood up for our children with you. I hope that the people around your deathbed are those people, not people that are just all around you wearing the same jersey for a team that doesn't care about you. You know, although he didn't let people into his inner circle, he was still their friend. And maybe today, just that mindset shift for some of you that you can have people in your life, but they don't got to know everything about you. And then there are people in your life that I heard one pastor say, every man, he was talking about manhood in the sermon, he goes, every man needs somebody who holds the dagger. And, and he said, the point was that every man needs someone in their life that if they wanted to, they could end their reputation because they know a lot about them. He goes, you'll never know the depth of the love of Jesus until you are that vulnerable with the people God put in your life. There are people getting baptized today that... um. just like 12 months ago wouldn't even walk into a church they're like grown men getting baptized today in front of their children that 12 months ago would look at me at the park and say don't talk to me about your church they didn't get baptized today and I just wonder if you and I could stop caring about our own reputation so much and stop caring about pleasing people and stop idolizing our loneliness and be a real friend. Because I don't know where I would have been if I, where I'd be right now if I didn't have that talk with Gary. Because what he was already doing to my soul within a couple of months of knowing him was killing me. To end, as the band comes out to help us lead in response time. You got I told you about my buddy Dave and so much fun to be around. It. But when it's serious, it's serious. And I remember there's been a couple of times and one time in particular, and I'm not going to share through the details because you're not in that circle. As much as I love you, you're not there. And that's okay. By the way. By the way, if, there, if the only place you have to ask people for help is online, if you need help moving something, you can't think of anyone you know with a truck or with arms, you don't have any friends. And I remember David shared with me some things that he noticed he was seeing in my life, and it cut deep. And I had two options at that moment, which we all have the same two options. Option number one was to respond the way that Gary did to me. You're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, you live in northern Michigan. It's so cold, you can't even think. Don't even look at me. Don't, don't, you're so far away, you don't even know. If you were a real friend, you would know. You hear how that sounds? And the other option was to trust the person God put in my life. That was purposefully moving in the same direction as me to allow him to say something to me that cut 
and then ask him, when did you start seeing that and what can I do to fix it? And I bet you because of that conversation, I'm still married, we're still here. And because of moments like that, you get to be here. It's amazing that when you think about it, that God put you in a church like this because some guy you don't even know had a conversation with a guy you didn't even know. That's how God works. I'm grateful for the friends in my life and I'm grateful for all the ones I unfriended who I still love deeply. John 13, a new command I give you, love one another, agape love, deeply love one another. As I loved you, you need to love one another. And by this love, the world will know. It doesn't say that you're churchgoers, that you're a disciple. A disciple and a believer are not the same thing. A disciple is someone who knows God hears his voice and does what he says without question and follows him and allows God to call him Satan if he needs to. That's a disciple. Disciples work through offense. They don't divorce when they don't get what they want. They stay the course and they're honest. That's a disciple. And he says, they'll know you are my real disciples if you love one another like a real friend would. Because there's a lot of people sitting in these houses right here on their phones, scrolling through death book, wondering why they're so alone. And they're a hundred yards from their best friends. And the next baptism, let's see what happens. Everybody stand to your feet. You start loving one another, your neighborhoods are coming to Jesus. So let me ask you, who's speaking into your life? Who's, who, you, who are you letting talk? Who's speaking into your soul? People at work, people at school. Who, who has been given a microphone into your life? And who do you need to be honest with? You know you're seeing something and it's bothering you, but now you're like, okay, if I'm gonna be a real friend, I gotta tell my buddy the truth. And that very person you're thinking of right now is the one you need to come and receive prayer for. Stand in the gap for them. Stand in the gap for their ability to hear what you need to say and then stand in the gap for yourself that you'll be the kind of friend Jesus needs you to be, wants you to be, and that your friends need, your real friends need. And there's some of you in this room that you've not made Jesus the Lord of your life. We just read the scripture earlier that he's your friend already. He's a friend of sinners, and you and I are both sinners in need of daily grace. Amen. And today, you have the opportunity to come down front and pray the prayer of faith. And the prayer partners are going to pray for you. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that he is the son of God, that he was crucified and on the third day rose from the dead and that he is my savior and he is my Lord. When that comes out of your mouth, your name is erased from hell's conference room and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Hell is upset, heaven's having a party, the devil gets a black eye. Some of you, your forever starts today at this altar. And you'll never forget the day that a real friend invited you to come to a cafeteria, but your great grandchildren will be the beneficiaries of your obedience that happens today. God is good, everybody. We don't play games with the devil. He's not playing games with us. So today, I'm going to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come on down and get in place. Communion partners get in place behind the tables. We have communion up here where they will remind you that your sins are forgiven. And we have prayer partners down here that want to pray with you about anything. Anything going on in your life especially about the content from today. So allow them to speak truth and faith into your spirit. Don't leave here today without having someone pray over you, especially if you're ready to make Jesus your Lord and Savior. And I promise you, I promise you, you'll start to see God set things in order.
when you move forward in his purpose and plan and don't allow people to distract you or tempt you. Let's pray. And after I'm done praying, the altars will be open. The band's going to lead us through a few choruses. While they're singing, you'll come get communion. You'll come get, uh, have someone pray over you and for you about anything you need. We'll do that just for a couple of minutes. And so when it's open, go ahead and come and make the most of that time. And then after that, Kelly and I will come up and end the service and give you instruction for baptisms that will happen here in a few minutes. Father, we thank you. Come on, just lift your hands to the Lord, everybody, and just thank him for what he's doing in your life. God, I thank you. Just tell him that with your own voice. God, I thank you for what you're doing in my life right now. I thank you for what you're doing in my spirit and in my soul. God, thank you for people in my life that love me and care about me. God, help make me the friend that you've been to me, that you love me no matter what, but you still tell me the truth and keep me focused. God, I pray that every person in this room, that anointing would cover their life when they leave this room, that you would begin to put people in their life that love them more than they love being friends with them, and that within three months, even within a week or two weeks even, we'll look up and see how God is moving us from one place to another. God, we thank you for your purposeful plan for our lives, and we submit to it. God, for the one that came here today thinking they were going to watch somebody get baptized, but they walked into this church today feeling like they need to be saved and baptized. God, give them the boldness and the courage to come down front and give every demon in hell a black eye, saying, my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids will not pay the price for my disobedience. I will stand for truth today. Lord, save me from my sin. Save me from myself, and may I never be the same. God, give them the boldness and the courage to come down and say yes today in Jesus' name. And everybody said a big, loud amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.